0: Okay, yeah. now where does that stack up to the Biloxi, Mississippi Zoo? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I just I just walk downtown, or I just me, walk outside the gate where I'm at. and It pretty much looks like a zoo. There's, I live next to Crackhead Park. Falsetto, you think our fourth grade teacher Miss T was her? I remember dude. one time you're like you're like oh she has sexy legs and we're like we're like, we're in fourth grade and you're like what what does that
0: even mean, <laughs> dude? Which country offers the hottest chicks?
1: <laughs> um, I'm going to go with. It's toss-up between Japan and Australia.
0: Hello, Podians, you passionate, priceless, precious pod of listening, interactive peeps. These Podians sessions require but a brief, unsophisticated introduction for my guest as we swap a slew of stories... There's no need to set the metaphorical mic table when dialogue this equal parts delectable and detestable will be consumed instantly. My boy Adam, practically the same age as my boy C-Drew, I believe they were born moments apart, shares the everlasting crown title as my oldest friend. Not in some lame, statistically misleading age classification, but in elapsed time, we've had the distinct fucking luck of knowing each other. So too has he remained a sturdy, solid, stubborn F-Stars amigo. I know what you are thinking. Stubborn is an aspersion of sorts. It carries a potentially negative connotation. Well, I refute that categorically. If you are a stubborn friend, that means you stick around, and you are unkillable. Like a vessel, you may veer, out of sight of shore, but you never vanish. You remain in radio fucking contact and you shoot flares and tracer rounds across your bow to let your comrade Falsetto know it is time to tie a ribbon round the old oak tree as we celebrate your intact return. It was forever etched into my Falsetto Prophet wish list to also have both Adam and C. Drew, womb mates as it were, on these chemohawk sessions. Today we discuss how to maintain your composure when dealing with jarhead lame brains, how to deal with the double vision grief of deployment goggles, how Adam identified at a precocious young age just where he wanted to steer his internal velocity efforts and what he wanted to pursue for the rest of his F-star's life, and as predicted, much discourse on ridiculous seafaring maritime terms. Unwind with me and Adam. The sea sickening, wartime tensions quickening, naval blockade thickening, waves crashing, thresher shark thrashing, artillery flashing abroad, and at sea, daily F-Stars grind. You will learn through our untried but true testimonials, how much one guy can remember about the other. Welcome to Chapter 52, White Collar Black Belt, Warrior or Warrior, ChemoHawk Podience with my non-bio brother abroad, Adam. Podiots, it is my distinct pleasure, indistinct displeasure, to welcome with open fucking unarmed arms, a seaman from different seamen, a hunk from different spunk, muscle-bound, master of arms, wrestling winner, who enjoys the ship cooks chow at dinner, once country town mouse living in colossal ass house, my childhood bro that I didn't even know, until I snuck into his childhood room, And made a mess that required a broom. His kindness, he'll show you. If in a bind, he'll tow you. Some dudes you meet are dicey. But my boy Adam and I once made an elementary commercial called Hot Hot and Spicy. Spicy. Welcome, my non-biological brother in white-collar warfare, Admiral Adam. Welcome to ChemoHawk Sessions, brother.
1: (laughs) Thanks, man. I really like the intro bring back some uh, bringing back some memory, especially hot and spicy
0: <laughs> your boy C drew he he enjoyed the intro too. he was speechless. Yeah. How often does that happen?
1: I usually have something to say every uh, every time
0: <laughs> how How did you two grow up without murdering each other? That's what I want to know.
1: I uh, might have been attempted murder at t- a time or two between me him and the mechanic. It took I think it took a long while for me to realize like what woomates you know twins, so it kind of took a while for us to realize what that was, but I don't know it's kind of like you have someone. Your brother, you know, your whole life. and just you get, you deal with it. You have fights, you have arguments, talk shit to each other, and then you go have beers. Would you say that you're as close to
0: your twin brother and your other brother <laughs> as as much as you would like to be? I mean, would you say you're pretty happy with your relationship?
1: I mean, yeah. Yeah, overall, I just, I've been home. I went away from home for 20 years. Uh, July of 23 will be 20 years that I left uh, home. So, and see, and the mechanic stayed, and then, they have their jobs so i don't i get I don't get to see them as much as I would like to Well goal would be that you know, after we're all retired and done or well we're all living back near where we grew up at. I have my kid and kiddos, actually she went on the way, and Cedric has his kiddos and i, I, I kind of wish we were like physically closer, so it'd be a lot easier to go spend a weekend together, or go take a vacation together right. well, it's funny because sometimes
0: all I can think about are the glamorous aspects of naval life, so for example. You have been able to see countries that I couldn't even find on a map. A lot of things are paid for by the military, and you get to travel with ease. I mean, do you get some sort of preferential treatment for travel purposes? Like, are you given like first um, seat on a plane, or do you, do you get any any perks like that, or is that something that's kind of hit or miss?
1: Most airlines are you know military friendly, so if you ever go on an airline, you know for boarding, they're always like you know they're always like, now boarding you know first class and when a well, disability people, and then. It's always like mil- active military and uniform, which when I was first in the military, I thought I had to be in actual uniforms. I never did that. And then like, oh no, if you just active duty. So, and we get automatic TSA pre checks, So that's kind of nice. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. cool. But then I forget that you pay your dues when you're in the military. Like you basically feel like a sardine on those, uh, on those ships. Do you, have you
1: spent a lot of time on subs? My job is for me specifically, my job is only on surface ships. So. I've been on a sub, like took a tour of it, but as far as like getting underway and going underwater with it, now nah, I'm, I'm good. I, I like sunlight. So. Sure. And so when you're on one of those uh, big-ass aircraft carriers, have there been times where the sea
0: was so vicious that you even were like, oh, shit, I don't know that this aircraft carrier is going to make it?
1: No, not not that. Especially when it comes to like, the aircraft carriers, they're pretty big. It takes a lot for them to rock around. But like on the, the small boys, we call them like the, small, the uh, cruisers and destroyers, we call them small boys or tin cans. They rock a lot, especially some rough seas. It's actually fun. I have videos from when I was a junior, like literally walking on the walls because we are rolling so much. There's never really been a time where I've been like, ah, this thing's on top over. They're built pretty well, but you know, they just they get uh, pushed around a lot into some uh, deep waves or big waves. But we usually try to board the storms if we can.
0: Sure. And you guys are crazy, but you're not that crazy. <laughs> uh, I know you've probably heard the name Wham Bam Cam a time or two because he's all over my podcast and he started his own. And one of his big, References that he likes to talk about is Jocko Wilnick. I'm just curious how familiar you are with him because he he was very active in San Diego. I remember if I heard Wham Bam's podcast correctly, he was in charge of all of the SEAL activity in San Diego for like a, a large period of time. Are you pretty familiar with his status and everything?
1: No, honestly, not necessarily. When it comes to that special forces type of military organization, I kind of I don't pay attention. It's not my it's not my field. I've heard the name, but never really like. Focused on or read up about him too much.
0: Oh, that's okay. I hadn't either. I'd only heard about him. And then I've learned a lot kind of through Wham Bam about his contributions. So he started a podcast and he's been doing it for many, many years now. I think he has somewhere around 400 episodes or something. And he's constantly bringing military guys on to talk about some of their past and some of the things they've seen. So probably a lot of guys you maybe are familiar with have been on his show. I'm just waiting. Maybe he'll be on his show one day. You know, who knows? Old Adam out there, Admiral Adam. Are you going to stay in the Navy until you make captain of the boat, <laughs> uh, chief,
1: chief, chief of the boat or whatever? If I could stay in forever, I would. But next year, next year I could retire because I'll be at 20 years. I'm trying to, so I'm a chief in the Navy, right? I'm trying to make senior chief. I would like to be Master chief, which is the highest uh, right. enlisted you can go. But then once you go Master chief, you become, you can go like command master chief and then you work with different, different like echelons of uh, leadership at that pay grade. I don't think I'll ever be like a, a command level. If I can get the two stars, as we call it, I would. If I do, I, I do. If I don't, I don't. And, you know, and of course, we have tenure, higher tenure, so for me, right now, I'd have to get out at 24 years. So I got four, four and a half years to go to I at the 24-year mark if I don't pick up the next rank.
0: So I have a friend who was 20 years in the Marines, and he actually was stationed, like yourself. He got to see some of Japan, and he was stationed off Okinawa for quite a while. So he got to learn all about their tunnel system that they had built in preparation for what they thought was going to be the invasion of Japan by America. So he was in the military for 20 years, and I believe you get, what, like a 75% pension for just a 20-year <coughs> tenure, something like that?
1: 20 years is 50%. Every year, if you for retirement, it's like every year is like 2.5%. There very few cases where people, in certain conditions where people will retire before 20 and they actually get a retirement. Not a medical retirement, but they're actually just a regular retirement. 20 years, you're guaranteed 50% and. of your base pay.
0: Okay. Okay. And then of course, any medical uh, or disability things would be like supplementary to that.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm, I'm big for. We always say, we always say, especially in the Navy, you know, document it. Make sure it's documented so that when you go to your uh, appointments, when you're getting out, they have to, uh, they look through your record and they verify if like, Oh, you have a lot of injuries. So that's all documented. So when it's time to get out, they'll look at it. And if it's still causing me issues, like my broken hand, that they, when I broke a couple of years ago, and when they, when they reset it, they reset it wrong. So now my like right ring finger is pointing inwards. So I have a permanent spock hand, as I call it. You know, live, you know live, live long and prosper. If I ever, if I give you a high five, stuff like that, you know. And as long as it's documented, there's ways to up your percentage. And even after you get out of military, if you don't like your percentage, or if stuff occurs afterwards that they can relate back to why you're military, you can always go back and they can always reevaluate you to maybe give you a higher percentage for your disability. Now,
0: the audience, they may not know, but I believe at least uh, a couple of your injuries were sustained by running around the ship. <laughs> I think there was some, <laughs> some trips and some inadvertent falls. So I don't know how sexy that is, but you, you probably talk up the stories when you're at bars and restaurants. You're like, oh, you know, I was running from this pack of wild natives. They threw a spear at me or something, and <laughs> you dove out of the way.
1: That'd be more believable, some of my stories. I got a scar on my on like my arm. I was drunk coming back from the ship and just running through my space like an idiot, and I tripped over a knee knocker and fell down. I was like, I'm <laughs> way down. I, I cut my arm. <laughs> I just have, like, you know, like, like, for, I broke my, like, uh, when I was uh, teaching, right? I broke my shoulder because I was running. I was doing sprints and I go for hole and I fell down and I dislocated my shoulder. And then when I first came in, I was doing a pull up and I blew out my kneecap. Wow. Which is complete opposite. People like, well, we, people think, well, we, I should, if I fall, you know, I should hurt my knee, and or if I'm, you know, right, right. But no, I was doing a pull up. It was raining, and when I fell off the bar, I twisted, and my leg landed one way, but the rest of my body t- twisted. So my right kneecap kind of went pop. Swelled size to a grapefruit. But, you know, I was 19. And I was like, I can, I can walk it off. <laughs> no, no, I couldn't. It's funny
0: because your brother, Andrew, <laughs> he had a similar injury when he was climbing, like kind of like he would do a pull up on the a soccer goal post, and he ended yeah. up cutting his wrist on some jagged, rusted metal. And your oh, mom, yeah, I mean, and your mom mean, <laughs> mom rushed him to the ER
1: or whatever. I remember that. I was pissed. It was a soccer practice because I yes. was pissed because we had just got there. We didn't even really start. And all of a sudden, I remember he, he hurt his wrist and, like, he was like, ah, and he walked over to, you know, mom. I remember he, he wasn't, like, screaming or anything like that. Then, of course, mom saw the blood. I was like, ah, and she put, like, a Popsicle or something on on his wrist, you know, injury. And I would think that it hit the nerves. And that's when Chris started screaming. And I was like, oh, well, I really want to go play soccer today. Ah, shit. Get in
0: the van and, you know, take him to the hospital. It's just so funny because I thought I was perfect because I had never bruised a bone. I'd never been to the hospital. Nothing. Two minutes. us. And no, I, I was fine for three decades and then I just, I get cancer. And I'm like, what the shit is this about? Like, I thought I was healthy. So then you start wondering, like, well, am I healthy? There was no family history of the cancer that I had. It was very surprising. Man, I'll tell you, it's been five, it's been a little over five years since I was, quote unquote, cured. Here's going strong
1: to another five years, hopefully. It's gone by pretty fast actually, like now that you say that. Kind of five years. Yeah, maybe you told me about you going for the surgery and didn't hear from you. And then you know, Red Devil reaches out and is like, Oh, this is his status we're like, What? Oh yeah, dude,
0: crazy times. We're gonna be we're gonna be dead before we know it. Time's going at a rapid rate. Oh, congratulations, premature congratulations on the growing of your family.
1: Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Do uh do it in March, but probably gonna be a little early because Baby's growing pretty big. Thirty. Uh, we just had ultrasound yesterday. And the baby is a little bit bigger than what your actual physical, like, you know, oh, you're at 28 weeks pregnancy, but the baby measures, like, you know, 30 weeks. So baby's growing a little bit bigger. I mean, I'm pretty tall compared to my wife, so.
0: You're pretty tall compared to a basketball player. What are you, like 6'3"? 6'2". I appreciate you trying to push for naming the new baby by my first name, falsetto, of yeah. course. I was honored when you reached out and told me that that was something you were angling for. But I understand that, you know, women, usually, since they're the ones, usually, I say, I mean, <laughs> things, are, things are getting crazier, crazier each day, but women are the ones usually giving birth, so they get to the say in the name.
1: They be able to convince her to have part of his name named after an admiral and a World War II admiral, idol of mine. Oh, what uh, was that admiral's name? Spruits. Oh, that's cool.
0: I have a quote here. It's a quote just for you, and it is from President Theodore Roosevelt, and it's his second annual message to Congress. A good navy is not a provocation to war. It is the surest guarantee of peace. So I thought you would like Mm -hmm. that one. But this quote I really like about the navy, now this is from a a philosopher, uh, Heraclitus is his name, and he said, Out of every 100 men, 10 shouldn't even be there, 80 are just targets, 9 are the real fighters, and we are lucky to have them, for they make the battle. Ah, but the one... One is a warrior and he will bring the others back. So I think of you, I think of you, Adam, I think you're the warrior out of a hundred men. Thanks. (laughs) And that's why I came up with this title for warrior or warrior. So like, for example, man, most of us, I think the vast majority of us when we're, especially when we're in our formative years and then we're getting into our teenage years, I know that I was guilty of this. I had no fucking clue what I wanted to do with my life. I had no idea what I was really good at. I had no idea what all of like a large gamut of my interests were. I just was stuck and thinking. And then I was playing that game where I was like, well, if I do this, then it's going to be difficult or no, 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 that's not going to work. So, for example, there was a period where I was interested in the FBI. Like I wanted to. I
1: remember that you want, especially I think it was a not insurance fraud, but like something like that. Like, right, right. Yeah.
0: So you have a good memory because I know you've had other things on your mind, like seeing Tasmanian devils when you were in Tasmania and shit. How cool are the Tasmanian devils? Are they as cool as you think they are?
1: I saw it at the zoo. Oh. Yeah, at the zoo, they're like, you know, it's like, like seeing kangaroos for the first time. was awesome. Then you go to Australia and a kangaroo like, yeah, they're there. They, they're treated like, you know, like, oh, they're fucking like pests, you know, like. Right. To America, right. they're awesome. But, you know, to everyone else in Australia, like, yeah, there's just another
0: animal. Now I heard that the San Diego Zoo is like the nicest, one of the nicest zoos in the United States. Can you confirm or deny that?
1: It is a pretty nice zoo. It's very hilly, you know. It's it's not flat. So if you're going, you're going to do some walking. But they have like a little sky tram you can take up. Every time I go there, I go entrance and then get on sky tram, go to the back and work my way down. So I'm not walking up the whole time. It is a pretty nice zoo, especially if you go up by the sky tram. You can see the zoo, you kind of see Balboa Park. You see some good views from up there. So my my son enjoys it. And another perk about Military is the zoo is free entrance for me. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: Now where does that stack up to the Biloxi Mississippi Zoo? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I just I just walk downtown, or I just me, walk outside the gate where I'm at, and it pretty much looks like a zoo. There's I live next to a Crackhead Park. I see, and there's wild animals, tamales.
0: i.e., disgusting humans running amok. Yeah. I was interested in joining the FBI, but then what I started realizing was to have a firm chance because they have a lot of applicants you have to have at least, well, most likely it'd be best if you had like a PhD, like a doctorate, which of course I didn't have. I didn't even have a master's. And then I learned that the vast majority historically of all the people that they grant access to the FBI are accountants and lawyers. And I had no interest in being, you know, either one of those. So there was like a small percentage of people that fell under what they call diversified. But I just kind of got off that. I was like, I don't think that's going to work for me. And then yes, I joined insurance to try to join up with the fraud department. But then I started getting to know the guy who was in charge of the fraud department there in Houston. And he was terrible. I don't think he appreciated my sense of humor or anything really. So that kind of fizzled out. But you, man, it must have made life a little bit easier, uh, must have allowed you to worry a little bit less and be more of a warrior and not a warrior because you knew, as long as I remembered, you knew that you wanted to be in the military, specifically the Navy, probably since you were like a single digit age.
1: Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. I since the elementary school. I knew I wanted to be in the navy. Like Papa was in the navy, so I mean, he's the reason I joined, and he's he's also the reason my name, my son, why I named my son after him. But, yeah, I mean, he told me he told me some stories about when he was in World War II, uh, and of course, you know, I'm like passed away when I was ten, yeah, a little over ten. But he so he told me stories, you know, about being in the navy, and I, and I was like, we didn't have internet really back then, so I would like, you know, see a movie about the navy and kind of putting, you know, two and, two and two together in my own mind, and like, God, that's what I want to do. Since I was like, I think I was like seven, I was like, I'm going to join the Navy.
0: You never wavered from that, like you were firm in that desire, and then of course you joined the cadets when you were young. Mm-hmm. You've just always been attached to the Navy, so I assume that that's something that you obviously don't have a big regret about, like you've, you've enjoyed it.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, no, no regrets. You know, no you know not even one letter. Um, so I always want to be in the Navy. My career has been not like I could say a normal Navy tour. Yeah, I did my first two commands overseas in Japan. Loved it out there. Had a blast. Made a lot of money, spent a lot of money, young, and I could pull all nighters. You know, and still go to work the next day. Now, if I try to pull an all nighter, I' dead for the next seven days. You know, um, <laughs> but had a blast out there. And then, you know, after that, I went to uh, I went to Iraq. And, you know, I did a boots on ground combat tour with the army in Iraq, which for me being in the navy, especially what I do I'm in the navy, going from the sea to the you know to the desert was a big transition. Then I've just you know been different commands, teaching different and going different ships. Station in Virginia, been stationed in San Diego. Now I'm actually down in Mississippi at a ship brand new ship that's being uh, built right now. So seeing that whole process of bringing the, bringing the ship to life, it's uh taken me anywhere and everywhere I've wanted to go and and then some. So yeah, like no regrets on, on joining the Navy
0: at all. Well, I'll tell you, man, um, all those times, I wish I'd made it to more of them, but audience about every year or so, there would be a welcome back Adam party at his parents' house. Over there in Texas thereabouts and I made it to some of them and it was always good to see you and the family. Your dad's always out there grilling, you know, hamburgers like a like a boss, drinking a Miller Light. I'm not big on mementos and keepsakes and stuff, but I still have this Captiva cigar holder, Operation New Dawn, that we smoked these cigars when he came back after. Now, it was New Dawn is that is that a smaller part of Operation Iraqi Freedom? <coughs> like operation no, Iraqi how does that work?
1: <laughs> it went from Iraqi freedom new dawn was like the, the drawdown right when they said hey we're gonna start pulling our troops out it became a new operation so new dawn okay. so it went from one operation to a new one and, that, and that's what it was I mean I remember I was still there in Iraq when that happened and I was eating at the DFAC the dining facility or watching the TV and it had tanks and troops coming from coming back into Kuwait over the border from Iraq and they're sitting there you know being saluted by you know High brass, and they compared it to the Persian Gulf when the war was over. The same thing, they're coming across the border in Kuwait and they're being saluted you know, by brass. You know, So, I, they had a it was pretty cool to see on TV, like the how similar it was. And I'm sitting there looking at it with everyone else, and we're like, Well, we're still here, right? So, right?" And people are like, Hey, are you coming back now that it's over? I'm like, it ain't over. We were out one day as combat troops, and then all, the next day, New Dawn happens, they're combat advisors, the different title by all political, doing the same thing, still getting shot, still getting blown up. It was interesting being over there in country and seeing that transition or seeing how things were not necessarily misconstrued, but seeing how things were displayed to back home, how they really were out there. So ever since then I kinda I kinda watched like news articles, you know on T V and about I kind of sit back and take it with a grain of salt.
0: Propaganda and perception. That's what it's <laughs> yeah. all about. It yeah. was really bad in Vietnam. The more I learn about Vietnam how things were on the ground and then how they were being spun to like mm-hmm. keep morale up and shit like that. Just crazy stuff that, you know, I slowly learn about over time in retrospect. Okay. So it was your maternal or your paternal grandfather that was in the Navy. Maternal. So okay. moms, mom's dad. I recall he saw quite a bit of combat, right?
1: His ship did. He was an engineer. So he was down in the belly of the ship, but I have his uh, little pamphlet book from USS Hobby. I don't know if you remember my house. It was a blue anchor it was on the wall blue anchor with a gold bell and said uss hobby dd610 i actually had that in my house my mom would always ring it in the morning a saturday morning to wake us up like, it was loud <laughs> that sounds like it. her he got this from his reunion but he also had like this declassified operation diary from a ship going about battle of the gulf and, and i was reading through it and i was like oh he was his ship was in in combat and escort operations a lot did a lot more than i, than I thought he had did so he had seen some combat operations um but he was engineer, so he would, he would go down the plan making sure the engines were running.
0: This is where things are all going to come together. I have all these thoughts mm-hmm. in my head. Okay, first of all, when you were talking about Master Chief earlier, the person that comes to mind is Robert De Niro's character in Men of Honor. He was Master Chief Billy Sunday. That was mm-hmm. his rank. And then he talked about the Battle of Leyte Gulf, where he talked about how he has this corncob pipe that would have been from General MacArthur himself. And correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the Battle of Leyte Gulf one of the largest, if not the largest, naval battle between the Allies and Japan, right?
1: It wasn't the largest, but it was. It was a large one. It was like the whole operation down there near the Philippines, I believe. Right. Uh, yeah. It was. It was a pretty big. one. I mean, because like you know, Battle Midway, Coral Sea, Leyte Gulf. Those are like the big number of, right. uh, battles that everyone talks about. So yeah, no one really talks about all the smaller ones that onesie Tuesdays here and there. But yeah, that was a, that was a pretty pretty big battle.
0: Well, it, it was really an eye-opening experience when I was watching, you know, like Band of Brothers. I'm sure you've seen Band of Brothers in the Pacific. Yeah. I remember watching like an hour long interview with Tom Hanks, who's, you know, like an executive producer or something on both of those shows. And he was talking about how everyone knows France and Normandy and D-Day. Like everyone knows that they know where it is. They know roughly where it is on a map. But he said that when they were doing the island hopping campaign, good luck finding Peleliu on a map. Like, like as far as anyone's concerned, it doesn't even exist. So that's part of the reason why they did the Pacific, was to pay tribute to the soldiers that were very involved, and for a long time, but more on places that were less noteworthy. I thought all that was interesting. Okay, now this is where my memory gets, so I have a very good memory, but sometimes I I think I remember things that are just, that didn't fucking take place. But I remember I was walking home with you from school, so this would have been probably middle school, because, so Saving Private Ryan came out in 1998, you know, I graduated in 2003. I know we were walking home from school. It was a sunny day. We were, we were walking across the bike. Remember the bike bridge that you'd ride your bike between the two neighborhoods? Good times, right?
1: Yeah, that one bridge uh, led to pretty much a uh, cousin's house. Yes, exactly.
0: So your cousin lived on that street that was directly in line with the bridge. So she had mm-hmm. a really nice life as far as getting to that bridge. I should have spent more time with her because she lived in my neighborhood. She was cool. She was like a tomboy. So she was kind of like, you know, just a cool chick to hang out with. I remember hanging out with her a little bit, but I should have hung out with her more. And of course, you know, her cousin that we all loved, Goofball, mm-hmm. that was a lot, a lot of fun to grow up with. He was funny, man. You come from a long line of comedians. I swear. I swear to Christ, everyone <laughs> in your family is funny.
1: Mom, comedian, dad, cousin. and fucking, and, and felons too. Oh yeah. So oh is, yeah. That's a whole other
0: thing. But yeah. so, so we're walking back from school and I remember talking, we were of course talking about that scene in Save a Private Ryan where the sniper shoots through the German scope and beats him to it, basically. I remember you saying this, and this is where I'm either completely fucking retarded or it happened, but I remember you saying that your grandparent, who you were, you know, very happy to follow in their footsteps as far as serving time in the military. I remember you saying that you told me a story about how your, like, grandfather had done the same thing. He was walking along somewhere, like on a ridge, and he saw, like, a glimmer, and he shot through the glimmer, and then later examined the body to spot to make sure that, you know, like he shot a person or whatever. And he determined that oh look at me I, I shot through the scope and I actually killed this German sniper that was going to kill me. So am I completely misremembering, or do you know anyone that that, that had a similar experience to Private Jackson and Saving Private Ryan?
1: Definitely wasn't Papa. Uh, he, he was in the Navy. Uh, the only thing I I don't, I don't know if I remember saying that, but I do remember like my godfather. He was he was a Vietnam veteran. He was yes. in a uh, he told me he was in like a little ambush squadron where he would go out like a little I think they call them sapper squadrons. He would go out and they would go like do small attacks. On uh, on small units, it's like a couple, like five, or six of them in a small group. Maybe that'd, that'd be him. Okay, yeah.
0: I just, I remember some talk of it, but that was a long time ago. And I'm sure I've talked to other people about something similar since. But And it's funny, I'm looking at this cigar holder that held that cigar that we all smoked to celebrate your return home. And it says Operation New Dawn. Well, the cigar holder is a red tin. And it's funny because I remember that movie Red Dawn where the Soviets are landing in the <laughs> fields of America. So I just think that it's funny that it's red. I just can't believe, man, how much you've gotten to see. For me, probably the hardest, if not definitely the hardest moment in my life was, it wasn't even the cancer. It was the complications that ensued from the subsequent surgery where I was fucked. My body was fucked. My mind was fucked. It was just all upside down terrible. That was the worst experience I've encountered in my life. I know that you've seen combat yourself. I remember kind of hearing about it briefly, but then you know we talk kind of in like, we won't talk for a long time, and then we'll talk in these swells. And then I learned from you later that the combat that you saw actually took quite a bit of a toll. So I remember realizing in that moment, man, you know, because I, I always thought, oh, maybe, maybe guys they have it easier compared to say like the Marines, right? They're like the forward active aggressor of sorts. But then I realized that sometimes, especially when you're dealing with a real something that's way beyond a conflict, but when you're talking about an actual war, it's all hands on deck. I was illuminated to the idea that, oh man, you you know, you actually there's times where you have to see combat and it was boots on the grounds. I can only imagine how terrifying that whole situation must have been.
1: Parts are worried, but like I mean I I laugh about shit now. Oh yeah, of think, course. I think so I'm always kinda goofing. I really don't take things seriously anymore. I don't stress about stuff as much as I used to after after being over there. Like and like I only did one tour and I mean that's that's enough for me, right? But you have these, like, Marines, Army soldiers, and even other Navy guys that go there, you know, their whole career, they go, like, six, seven, eight, nine-plus tours over in Iraq and Afghanistan. They see a lot more than I ever did or ever will, and some come back perfectly fine, some come back on edge, and some come back completely messed up. I mean, when I got back, I had issues, I guess you can say, about stuff I was... On edge a lot, m- lot more, I guess you say. Like There's certain things now, like I still do, regard, and I left 12, 13 years ago, I left, you know, like like when I get into a vehicle, I still do a walk around of the vehicle. Just natural for me to check the vehicle, just a like, quick look underneath, you know. Look, at have a motorcycle, so it's still like, uh, easy. But <clears throat> certain things, like when I go to a restaurant, I always have to, if I get sit in the very middle of the restaurant, a lot of times I'll have to move a little bit. I used to do it all the time, I was like, I only had to sit certain ways so I could see certain angles.
0: So I do the same thing, man. I, I like, to, I prefer to sit somewhere where my back is facing a solid surface. I'm a people watcher kind of by habit. So I like to see people coming in the restaurant just to kind of see what's coming. So it sounds like you're the same way.
1: Yeah. And I do, and it's not as like much any as it used to be, you know, like if like me and my wife and son are out, like the other day uh, I was, we we're at Disneyland and we sat in the middle, we we're at a table in the middle like, middle like little cafe restaurant we were At and the whole time I just kind of looked around right behind me was the kitchen area. You know, and that's something I'll, I'll look for. I'm like, where's where's the kitchen? Where's you know, where like where's the bathrooms? It's just natural for me to see where all the extra points are. What's my straightest line out of here? Is a straight line to the front? Is a straight line to the kitchen? And then I just kind of do a quick look around of people who are there, you know. And then like even then, I'll still like my ears will be paying attention to other conversations going on. Sure. And especially now, like sometimes we'll go we'll go to a place and I'll be I'll tell my wife I'll be like, yeah, let's get over there, right? Especially since I have my my son, you know, I'll sit with him like. Closer, like, and if we're in a booth, though, I'll I'll make sure that try to get him to sit like closer to the window. But then I also got to take consideration: what's on the other side of the window? Is it a parking lot? Is it like is it is there a driveway right there or a walk path or is it like parking lot entrance to the you know? I was taking that stuff to effect now more so than I used to. From all the time you spent abroad,
0: like, do you speak Japanese or Arabic or Kurdish or anything like that?
1: No, no, no. I mean, when I was in Japan. I spoke a little bit. Um, I used to be able to like read some of Hiragana, unless you like. Practice it up and up and up, you know. And you're immersed in it. It's kind of hard to uh, keep up with. That. I still remember a little bit, you know, basic greetings and you know, say thank you and you're welcome and like wear something. But like I, I'm not fluent other language other than sailor talk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which we're gonna okay, okay. So sailor talk. Give me one or two examples of just some naval lingo that you would use just day to day that maybe the common civilian wouldn't understand.
1: One of your podcasts, you use the term Blue Falcon, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, like, buddy fucker. Uh, yes, yes. In the Navy, we call it one-way or a check valve. Because check valve is like only water goes through one-way, right? So it's like if someone goes to the ship store to get some stuff and they come back, but they didn't offer anyone, like, hey, one-way, you know? Let me get your street <laughs> sign. Right? We have uh, we have terms, a term called a FUJO, F-U-J-O, fucked up junior officer. We'll call, we'll call him a FUJO. We don't really use it in the Navy, but an Army, if you call someone like Buck, like Buck Sarge, it's you know it's kind of like insult and then in the navy specifically so like my rank i'm a chief sometimes in the navy if you call someone by their pay grade as opposed to the title it's really insulting so like we call a chief in e7 it's, it's really insulting it's mean like it's like yeah you're not being a good chief you're being at this pay grade
0: ah i remember so our mutual friend justin he was in the navy as you know and he got his yeah. um honorable discharge did you guys ever have any overlap were you ever like on the same ship at the same time <laughs>
1: twice we met. Like so when I was in uh, Florida going to my aircrew school, he was he was there during his training. Uh, he worked in aviation. And then I left and then he went on deployment and we were in yeah, Okinawa, I believe. And then he was like a bus driver for you know duty bus driver. And I happened to be there as well. So I got to meet up with him and he actually I think he drove me back me and a couple guys back to our ship. That was the only time like in the Navy we actually like overlapped.
0: He dropped a term <laughs> on me one time. We were playing video games and he said we were talking about someone and he was like oh man that guy's uh, OFP. And I'm like, all right, what is that? He's like, he's on his own fucking program. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. So I like it. And that's is, why, yeah. So it was, it was my oh, episode own, own on fucking program. Yeah. Own fucking program. When I did the buzzsaw words, I thought, okay, well, when you're in a corporate, when you're in corporate America and you're dealing with all this bullshit, they have all these slang terms. They're not even that clever. <laughs> They're just bullshit. That's why I gave a whole segment talking about vernacular in the American military, it's quick, it's efficient, it makes sense. It's using the least amount of words or even acronyms to get your point across. And that's why I I really enjoyed researching a little bit about, you know, lingo. And the example I originally wasn't going to use, but then I used because it was so good. It's the one you told me about. It's a numbering system when you're on a submarine or whatever, where the guy or the girl, whichever, oh, it's a nine, three. It's like, well, what does that mean? It's like, well, if you out in the real world, if you just saw them on the street, when you're around when you're around people that are like competition, then there are three, like they are a low quality three, but when you've been at sea for six months, you know, they suddenly boost themselves up to a nine and they're not so bad to look at.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. We had yeah, the, the digit system. Yeah. Like a, like a 96 or like a, you know, one Oh seven, something like that. Um, <laughs> another term is deployment goggles. Yes. Um, they call they call those and they call them boat booze, deployment goggles. And I see it all the time. Guys will look at girls and girls like guys like, oh, I don't want anything to do with that person. Then, you know, couple months into the point, we're like, yeah, hey, that person looked pretty good. And then, you know, so we call it deployment goggles, it's kind of like, you know, beer goggles, everything kind of looks yes, a little better. Same, exactly. same concepts. Well, fuck, I'll say it. We're our terms. So sometimes you call, uh, they'll call females uh, Navajos. So,
0: <laughs> now, hold on or, a second, because it's my understanding that the Navajos were the wind talkers and they were critical to solving some of the cracking some codes in World War II, right?
1: Oh, we're not talking like that. I know. Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Good. They're uh, Navajos.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or sea donkeys. Oh, Um, oh, that's,
0: that's, that that doesn't require any translation. We know a sea donkey (laughs) when we see one, I believe we knew a few in uh, elementary school and middle school. It's funny though. There's only a few examples of people that got much more attractive as they got older, like, especially with women. Cause I remember thinking that girls were cute in like middle school, high school, and then, you know, life just got in the way, but there was that one girl, remember Diane or Diana? I can never remember, but she was like a total dork middle school or elementary school. And remember, she turned yeah, out to yeah. be like, wow, like what's going on here? So that was a rare example of, wow, uh, forward trending.
1: You just reminded me, remember our fourth grade teacher, Miss T?
0: Oh, I remember her very well.
1: And you thought that she was like Shania Twain?
0: Yes, I did.
1: Cause she was. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell my wife about that the other day. Cause she, she showed me something about Shania Twain. And I was like, falsetto. If you think our fourth grade teacher, Miss T was her. I mean, one time you're like, you're like, oh, she has sexy legs. And we're like, like we're in fourth grade. You're like, what? What does that even mean?
0: Dude, I remember getting into a lot of arguments with her and I felt like she was a bitch to me. But I distinctly remember her being very attractive. And I, I'm sure that she probably was for a long time after. I think I remember seeing her at Meyer Park. If you remember that wonderful
1: park? I remember Meyer Park, yeah.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing her. I think she was walking with one of her female buddies five or six years after You know, I, I had her as a teacher. But it was funny because she had my sister. She had my older sister years before in her class as well. We had a conversation about that, where like my sister was struggling at that time, and maybe she thought that the apple didn't fall far from the sister tree or something. But I don't know, man. She was a hottie, but I thought she was kind of a she was kind of a B. I remember in class we were supposed to have a piece of notebook paper to take a pop quiz. Carl, I don't remember his last. Oh, I remember his last name. Carl W. He ripped yeah. out a piece of paper, and then this girl next to him, she didn't have a piece of paper, so he ripped out a piece of paper for her. And Mrs. T, she's like, "Falsehood, what are you laughing at? Like, what's funny?" And then I told her, I was like, well, I thought it was funny that he, he ripped out a sheet of paper for himself. And then he ripped out a sheet of paper for the girl next to him. And then he ripped out a sheet of paper for the guy behind him. And she goes, okay, that's not funny. I don't know why you're laughing at that.
1: And I was like, damn, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> she, cold. She's the one who gave me my wait, I cat Smokey from her. Oh, really? My, yeah. And I remember she was like, The right, first person to get a letter from their parents, put it on my desk. And I remember like, School started at 8 o'clock. I asked mom or dad to drop me off at 6.30. And as soon as the first person came in, I had that note. This pretty much the note saying from mom that said, yeah, I'll accept this cat. I had the note. I remember I went to her desk. I moved everything out of the way. I put it right in the middle. I put, like, stuff on the corners in case the wind blew it away. Yeah, we ended up getting smoky. You know, the same cat that Big Steve decided to steal one day. And his, him and his dad drove the cat, like, in the van. Stole it in the van and then drove around the block. I got him, got smoky back and the cat was never the same.
0: I don't remember that. But I do know that you learned the lessons much sooner in life than I did, which are that cats can be great, great domestic animals. I was always resistant to cats until I found you know, O.J. and Othello, which, of course, Othello was worthy of getting on the cover art of Kemohawk Sessions. But but I wanted to ask you one thing about Japan just to confirm. My, so my buddy who he was in Okinawa. Now, I did a, a podcast recently with Wam Bam Cam on one of our Whiskey Wednesdays where we were just talking about the craziness of kamikazes and everything. The Japanese are tough. Like he was telling me about your typical Japanese businessman. And like a black suit and a tie, will work all day, probably like a fourteen hour day, and then mm-hmm. go to these. And it, it's a Kaya. okay, it's a Kaya. and they'll just get shit faced at the bar, fall asleep on the bar, wake up at five in the morning, and just go back to work in the same clothes they were wearing from the night before. Is that true oh, yeah. or is that
1: false? Oh, that is totally true. I'd be coming into work from my house out in town when I was stationed <laughs> there. And I'd be you know on the train, you see them on the train just like slushed over, like oh man, this guy's had a rough night. You hear like the Japanese talk. Uh, like saying next next stop. and they get up and they fix the time and they walk out like nothing's going on like what the hell and they smell like booze but you see them walking through a business you're like damn so yeah they yeah some of the older Japanese guys like they, they can still throw down and have a good time at night but yeah they, like like the called izakayas they're like all night bars or like bars and like mini restaurants where you don't really get like food you get like like little snacks you know like little bar food the whole night but yeah th- those are pretty fun but yeah they, they can go all week go from work to the bar, to work to the bar, to work to the bar, to home to shower.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. So it's probably a dumb question at this point, but would you say that outside of America, Japan's your favorite place that you've traveled, visited, and seen, or is it some? Is it a different place? If you could pick one.
1: Oh, had to pick, uh, outside of America, if I had yeah. to pick one, it, it would be Japan, just because I spent more, a lot of time there. I spent like what, five years there. Were you in Tokyo? It, in Yokosuka, which is like, uh, I think like an hour and a half, maybe two hours south of Tokyo. Okay. It was mainland. I enjoyed it out there. It's different. The culture's different. I mean, all the small stuff. Like you don't even, you don't need a vehicle to live out there. You know, out here in America, you need a vehicle to get to work or to do anything, to go to groceries. Out in Japan, since everything's like such comp you know, compacted, you know, it's, it's busy and it's hustle and bustle. But my first couple of years I don't have a vehicle and I got around just fine. People there are nice, they're very respectful. Crime is like non existent. Like it'd be ten o'clock at night and I would see like a little little kid, like elementary school kid on the train by himself with his backpack, like going somewhere, and you're know, like it's like 10 o'clock at night. First of all, why is this kid up? But no crime. There might be some crime right now. Definitely nowhere near as it is like here in the state.
0: Is that because of like a harsh penalty or because it's more of if you commit crime, you bring like cultural shame upon you and your family name and stuff?
1: I think a little bit of both. They have, they do have some uh, punishments for severe crimes, but also the the whole uh, like family honor thing Yes, uh, out there that, you know, we like 99% of Americans don't have, you know, don't bother about out there. It's, it's a big thing. You don't want to bring uh, shame to the name and the way they kind of, I gonna say raise their children, but like kind of push their children to do certain things, you know, to for the family. It's not as bad as I guess it used to be like 20, 30 years ago, but because like, it's become more, I guess, modernized, I would say more westernized where it's, you know, people obviously like let their children decide more what they want to do in life as opposed to like, no, you're going to go to a school in straight A's and you're going to become a nuclear scientist or whatever. It feels like safer out there, you know, for like if you had a family.
0: Right. Um, I think. So what's, uh, what's one of the worst places that you've had to see that you um, would not you would not go back if you had to say in the matter?
1: India. Ooh. Like, like I went to, where the fuck would I, I went to, what was it? It was, it was earlier this year, I went on employment on another ship and went to, it was just miserable. Like, where was, it? I can't remember the name of, but it was like apparently like this big old party city that because of COVID had pretty much damn near shut down. So when we showed up, they're like, oh, Americans, they're gonna to want to party. I'm like, no, I just want to chill in my hotel room, have some drinks because it was hot, it was miserable. I just honestly just didn't have a have a good time there. Uh, looking back, i was just like, yeah, I just didn't really, I didn't care for it. It was just not. What the hell is that place called? I can't remember what it's called. I'm trying to think of it, but the
0: only place it, I can think of it used to be Calcutta, but then it's called it's called like Kolkata or something. They changed yeah. the name of it, but that's the only place yeah. I know.
1: This was on like the the west coast of India. It was it was on our way when we were going to the Persian Gulf. I would not want to go back there again. No more India. I, I can check that off my bucket list. I've been to this country.
0: <laughs> so you're the person to ask. Okay, how grateful should we feel in America compared to how people in other countries live? How fucking grateful should we feel every day that we wake up compared to 87 other countries that you've probably seen? <laughs>
1: man, we should feel grateful as, as fuck, man. Like it pissed me off when like, I was, like for instance, I was at Walmart earlier today, right? Had to you know grab some grab another mic and a headphone for this podcast right because i needed one like i'm pretty patient you know i was like you know i'm sitting in line there's one person working in this electronic section, and people are just getting like some people are like, excuse me hello are you gonna help me i'm just sitting here <laughs> like and they just had to they just had to check out i'm sitting thinking like there's like 13 self-checkout registers in the front and there's other cash you know it's just like when people people i think in america feel so entitled because they're americans or because they're of a certain like they're from a certain place or they're class you know whatnot, not and, and people a lot of people in america feel entitled especially like you know i mean at the high school you know i was like hey, fuck yeah we're the best country we're america you know which we we still are in some aspects but after being in the military and seeing like working with, with other militaries going to other countries seeing how people live you know how just uh stuff that we take for granted like running water yes stuff, stuff, stuff like that or you know having you know the ability to uh you know three four seven meals a day if you wanted to you know be, the ability to free public education which a lot of you know some countries don't have most people in america feel entitled and just wasteful you know like i mean how many times have you gone to a restaurant and you know you see people that order a meal and there's so much food left on the plate or there's just so much extra trash or people just don't like separate the trash i'm guilty of it too i don't separate my trash or you know like i don't i say wasteful for, for some food but i try to whatever food i i buy i i get you know and like you know i don't like having like seven boxes of cereal open the house you know because they'll go stale, and that's just wasting money in my opinion you know but yes like, it's, especially go to the middle east go to oman you know go to bahrain well bahrain has a lot of money out there too you know because where it's at but go to india and you'll realize how grateful you are to have a pair of jeans that you've had for you know a couple of years we don't you know i might have a couple holes in it but the ability to go and you know, have more than two sets of clothes stuff like that we don't think about as americans that we have that we take for granted here we want to Look down on like the homeless people, or say the less fortunate in general. Like it, everyone does it when you you go by and see someone with a sign on the street, you know, saying like, and you think to yourself like, okay, you know, f- you know, their choices, their life choices, you know, made them some, some, yeah, some was not the, their fault, but like over in some other countries, that's like how they're how we see people live on the street. That's like their a lot of people's normal. That's how they live, you know. So it's, right. it's I really think that anyone, everyone should be able to go travel to other countries and see how different, and how lucky we have it over here, and don't go to like those popular tourist spots of like, oh, let me go to this magical place city for because all tourists like go into a country pick some random spot on map go see it and be like yeah we have it really great over here so i think if people do that they'll be they'll be more grateful and more appreciative of what we have over here what we can offer
0: i have heard consistently from people that are in the military especially navy because you get to see i think a lot more than the navy because you're just when you're abroad you're constantly traveling right like the ship is always moving but like if you're in the army for example you may be stationed somewhere, but you may very well be there for a long time, right? It's a little different.
1: And then maybe like my, I'll be in San Diego, but like we have like deployment schedules, a ship just doesn't be like, oh, we're going to deployment tomorrow. Right. You know, it's like, unless something happens, there's like, you have workups, you have training cycles, you have certifications, you know, every type of ship has different type of warfare certifications. You have to, and Like my last command was here. I would go help certify ships to get in my warfare area so they can get the deployment certification and even after you get your certification you still have to do training exercises and most of your naval career is training and preparing for in the hopes that you don't actually have to do your job which is kind of like a lot of people like why, why do I do it it's like well you rather have someone who's like go to shooting range like why, why do you go to shooting range you go so you can hone in your skills in case you ever have to use it so a lot of military is a lot of military is doing training it's fun I like being on the way I like being out to sea I like, like doing my job especially now being older and like the leadership aspect, I like leading my sailors and like teaching them and showing them how the right way to do stuff and kind of like molding them. It's not just, Oh, we go to San Diego and we're there for five years and we will go anywhere. Your ship will go out for exercises or from qualifications or
0: deployments. So, so do you find yourself worrying a lot at work or do you feel that because like, it's my understanding that in the military, there's a lot of redundancies. Do you feel that you're worrying a lot or just, you're only really worrying when like, maybe there's some uncertainty because there's like a new development or something. (laughs)
1: When it comes to like I guess worrying, don't think I guess the things I worry about per se is not like okay going on deployment, because I know like that's gonna happen. The ship's gonna go out to sea, we're gonna go on deployment, we're gonna have to do this stuff. For me, my my worry is outside of you know, personal stuff, but you know, when it comes to like you know being in the navy, my, my worry, me not being able to lead my guys, my sailors, uh, to do the right job, and then worrying that if the shit is the fan, that they're not able to. Like now nowadays, like in my position, my, how long I've been in, I don't really worry about myself. You know, I worry about my sailors, making sure that they're taking care of that. They're getting what they need, that their career is, you know, we have like we call it career development boards and certain, there's certain timelines we have to do them by. It's like sitting down and make sure that my sailors are getting what they need to get done to, to enhance their career. Or some people just want to come in do their four years and get out and that's perfectly fine. As long as you have a plan at the end of the day, my ultimate worry is to make sure I'm not failing. My sailors have what they need to, to progress.
0: How many direct reports do you have? What do you mean? Like, how many people report to you directly?
1: With me in my division, I have 16 juniors, I have 16 listed and one officer in my division on my ship. So I have 15 that report to me and then I report to my, uh, report to my Devo.
0: So I just heard audience from Mr. Adam's mouth, Admiral Adam over here, that if you're going to be a good leader, especially when, you know, the stakes are high, you have to be in some ways more concerned about the, progress, developments, that your people that are reporting to you have what they need, maybe even more so than your own self at times. Is that fair that a a leader should be more concerned about the people they're leading than themselves?
1: Yeah. I mean, do you have a a leader who's more worried about like how they look and, you know, what they're doing, then it's not going to happen, right? Like my first ship, we had a CEO come on board and he literally told us, he's like, I'm going to make full bird captain at the expense of this crew. When that happened, everyone was like, fuck, like morale dropped. He wanted us to do all this extra stuff. And we're like, why? Like, what, how does it help? What's beneficial The with him? What's in it for me? You know, that we say that term a lot, the with him, that what's in it for me. When you're like a junior, if you're like new to the military, like naming your junior say like E3, E4, you're kind of doing stuff for yourself to advance. Cause you really have that big responsibility. But you know, as you get older and, and you know, in life and and also like, you know, and just in the military, like it's not about you anymore. It's about your sailors. And like, we go to leadership courses, right? I teach leadership courses and my degree is in organizational leadership that I'm working for. One thing we talk about is the acorn to the oak tree. So, if you can imagine, what do you do when you get like a brand new, like baby tree? What do you just see attached to it? When, right when you put it in the ground, like a tiny tree. What do you see attached to the tree? A root. A root, but like up, you know, like on the side. You see some like some stakes and some strings, like holding the tree, right?
0: Oh, oh, support. Yeah, some sort yeah. of
1: support. So we say that like when you're first in, that's who you are when you're first in the military. You're that tiny ass oak tree, not knowing anything, and you have the support, the railings, right? Through your chiefs, your divos, your other senior guys help you. Help you grow and then the next stage is you're a bigger tree and you have a lot of those support things gone but you still have one or two and then you become the oak tree right then it becomes you can stand on your own you can do what you need to do and you can actually like your roots are deep so you're, you're able to help and lead other sailors and then talk about getting that the oak into a grove oak tree into a grove where you surround yourself by other sailors other people like you and then what you want to do at the end of the day as a good leader you want to leave that legacy you want to leave that acorn right to grow so that you know you can pass on your legacy whether good or bad, two other sailors to learn from and them to be that to be that young tree, tiny old tree with the support on and growing
0: up. You have a forest of success.
1: <laughs> yeah. In a storm, a single tree is not gonna withstand a storm, but you surround yourself with like a whole forest of trees, overall the group is gonna stand.
0: Well, it's fitting because uh brother Adam is the size of a tree. He's got <laughs> he's got big thick thighs like a running back, still finds time to pump iron, goddammit, like five times yeah. a
1: day. I haven't been since I was I was on vacation. So today, this afternoon, I'm going to go to the gym.
0: How do you find the energy and how do you find the mental toughness where after working a full day and having a family and pets, how do you find the wherewithal to pump iron?
1: I kind of have to make it to my routine. You know, I I feel I was home on leave. I was vacation. You know, I was like, I'm not going to work out while I'm here. You know, I'm away from my family. I I time to fill the day. But also just, I just, you know, it it keeps stress level down. Work can be stressful sometimes. Being away from my wife and kids, it is stressful because I mean, I'm even though I'm here and I'm doing my job, providing for my family. It sucks being away from wife and my son and my and my pregnant wife, worrying about them, make sure that that they're okay and they stay taking care for the bills, the dogs, everything. The new goldfish we just got right before I left. His name is Goldie. Clever. You know, so I go to the gym to to help like release some uh, some stress, but also just to I don't want to be. If you ever look at if you look up like oh, stereotypical Navy chief is usually fat. Like I'm never going to be a fat chief. I don't ever want to be a fat chief. Break that mold. I like working out. I'm not 22 and trying to get like a chiseled, you know, 72 pack, you know, working the different hours and hours. Like I'm old and broke. I'm not trying to get that, that Dunlap, you know, when you belt Dunlap over your belt buckle. I, uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's good for you, man. I wish I'd been able to maintain the same routine I started when I was in high school.
1: You always kind of jacked in, in high school. See so you run around. You you run down our the, the little, little L shaped cul de sac area and see so you run down there and hey, what's up? Oh, yeah,
0: dude. That was the life. I don't even know if I can run anymore after my, my lungs took a beating, but I actually need to start trying. I've been hesitant because I've tried to run since my surgeries and everything. And it's, it's not a pretty picture. So I need to start trying to run again. Cause I like running. You get that rush of endorphins, you know? So,
1: yeah. I mean, you just got to start somewhere. Even if it's like a treadmill walk and incline walk, I'm mean, hell. Even if you did like a 30 minutes on a 30 minutes, like fast walk on the incline, it's, you know, it's still, still some cardio Yep. and you can do some some, you can do some low hit training where you kind of do like a, a quick jog and then, you know, if like, I don't know, 30 seconds, then walk for a minute, you know, stuff like that and just got to build your way up. That's what a lot of people in the military will, will forget that, you know, they'll, they'll uh, want to work out because they haven't worked out, in, you know, a year and a half and they try to lift hard or they try to go all out and they end up getting injured. Yeah. Like, like, like I know today I haven't been worked out in a couple weeks. I'm going to go, I might be in there for 40 minutes and That that might be good enough for me today. Like I can't do two and a half, three hour gym sessions anymore. Like I used to, like if it was on like Saturday, I got shit to do. I might stay in there for two hours, especially if the gym is empty, but I'm getting old Starting to realize, like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't have that much energy as I used to. But, <laughs> but no, I like, as far as like energy for all that stuff, I just, I just make it part of my day purposely. In my mind, have a scheduled time, like, you know, work, gym. And uh, my goal is to try to like, especially when I'm back home with the family. My goal is to try to get all that done. The gym time done before like my my son is uh, out of school, before like my wife is is back from home. You know, if I get home early, just so that when I'm when they're home, it's it's time with them. Sure. Um, so I get home, I forget out of work late, and they're already home. Like 90% of the time, I'm not going to go to the gym. And if I do, it's going to be a treadmill run in the garage. I'm like, ah, I'll make up for it later, like the rest of the time of the week or go early in the morning. Well, see what you did just now is you
0: gave me a better thought process and a better analysis than like half the managers I ever had a conversation with about what the fuck we were doing in our department. You consider like, well, if this happens, then I'm going to have to do this. Like, I remember watching that movie, Zero Dark Thirty, when they're storming Osama's compound. And the plan was to breach like this primary door. And then go into his compound, but then that door didn't work. Abort. And then they went over to a second area, and they went there. So they're not going to let one little hangnail, you know, get in the way of the mission. So I like that kind of linear thinking.
1: You always have a plan. I always have a for anything and everything. There's a there's backup plan, and then there's tertiary plan. Like even like today, I'm going to go to the gym later today. But if I don't make it to the gym, I'm going to. I have little workout equipment in my room. I'm going to do that. You know, I always have plans uh, like backup plans. Even though sometimes if I'm like ah, what do you want to do? They, I don't really have any plans. I always have something going on in the back of my mind, you know.
0: Sure. Well, good for you, smart man. Smart man. <laughs> you heard it here first. Now, how efficient is the military?
1: Depends on what aspect you're talking about. Like, uh, are you
0: in? Okay, are you impressed in the day to day from what you see when you're teaching sonar in San Diego when you're on active missions? Are you generally impressed with the efficiency? Are you constantly looking at things and saying, oh, I can make, I can do that better. Oh, I can make that quicker. Oh, I can make this make more sense.
1: We're naturally doing that, just anything and everything, right? Mm -hmm. We're always doing that to be like, ah, how can we improve this? How can we do this better? You know, like we have, like uh, yesterday we had, um, when I was on duty, we had drills. We always have a debrief. We call it PBED plan, brief, execute, debrief. You know, uh, we do the whole training process. We plan, we brief, we execute it, and then we do debriefs. So at the debrief, we're like, hey, what can we have done better? What can we do this? You know, even if it's some small, minor changes, but no matter what evolution we're doing, we're always looking at some a way to improve it. That being said, you have a lot of good idea fairies out there, um, which are fucking horrible. They're always like, oh, why don't we do it like this? And some jack nut will be like, yeah, that sounds really good. And we're like, that's a, that's a terrible idea. And we do it. And we're like, so you told you.
0: That's it right there. The fairy business. I like that bullshit because for every situation that you have or every term or every protocol or procedure, I'd say probably 30% of them just aren't working the way they are in the sense that they could be done in half the time or they could be done that, you know, where maybe now it involves eight people. It could probably only be done with like two. But you also have to be aware of the fact that there are ideas that are working fine. And they really don't need to be fine-tuned anymore, right? We have the internal combustion engine for the car, and we know that it's not that efficient. You find a better way, I mean, short of you know doing the electric car, which of course is very expensive and everything, but the internal combustion engine still works. Do you really have to fuck with it a whole lot? It's that balancing act of finding what does need to be changed desperately, and maybe not everything should be changed. And I know that like in my company, a lot of managers would come through and they were motivated to change something. Because if something could be changed, then they could take credit for it. But the problem oh, yeah. was, is that it would start a bunch of fires that we didn't have the fire extinguishers for. That was a problem. But like, okay, do you feel like your time, your time specifically, like, do you feel like your time is well utilized by the military? Do you feel like they're getting their money's worth out of what they're having you do? to you know, Shit. So- Some, Sometimes, sometimes,
1: yeah, they get they're definitely get their money's worth out of, out of me, especially the past year. It all depends where you go, like, I'm at, I'm at this pre-com, the ship is being built and we're establishing programs and doing the training, but sometimes it feels rushed and sometimes it feels like every day it does a new priority. You know, it's like, oh, today this is the priority, this, this, and this. And tomorrow, they're like, oh, now this is the priority. You're like, well, what about these other things? You're like, oh, later on. Oh, wow. and, then, and then you come back the next day and like, what's the status of this shit? And you're like, they won priorities, so we don't have to worry about it. So, I mean, that's just where I'm at right now. Sometimes, but then at the same time, like when I was on shore duty, my last shore duty, sometimes I would go to work at like 7.30, and I'd be off at nine o'clock you know, because there's not much serious. So it, it, you have to give and take. It comes to cycles, you know, overall, I think efficiency in the military comes and goes. There's a lot of admin shit that we have to take care of and documentation that's not the most efficient and like how you have to get it routed instead of just going straight up to the man, top man assigned it has to get routed and everyone has to look at.
0: Well, that sounds really familiar, man, because I remember in my former company realizing that with like authority levels, your manager would have limited authority. So you of course had even more limited authority. So you'd request something from them and then they would say, Well, I would love to give you the authority, but I'm gonna have to get authority for this because it's over my authority. And now you and your manager, the middle <laughs> manager, M M are waiting mm-hmm. from the full blown, I guess you'd call the um CNO. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're waiting on the CNO, who they have much bigger fish to fuck up and fry than what you know, you and your piddly little middle manager are waiting on. So now you've got three people that are involved in this authority procedure. Where if your middle manager just had more authority, it could have been done in five minutes. So that's the issue that we kept coming across was like misallocation of authority, and and of course the top dogs didn't have any trust for the middle dogs. It led to a lot of delays in the in the system.
1: Yeah, we have the whole delegation of authority, and you know we have certain uh, duties, and responsibilities at certain pay grades or certain um, positions you hold. Right now, in port, X stand a watch. I have authority. I've written permission from the captain for batteries release. Pretty much being like if the ship import comes under attack, I have if I stand the watch, I have the authority to give the batteries like weapons authority to for us to fire back um, certain things. So, so instead of waiting for the captain to be like, hey, yeah, go ahead and fire. Like certain people have certain delegation of authorities to do certain things. Sometimes it sucks, you know, you have to you need something, but they have to go to the person above you and they have to get permission. They have to get permission. Sometimes I've noticed over my career. A lot of CEOs will be afraid to to do stuff because they're they're too afraid of of being fired. Do you remember the um, beginning of COVID? The the of Theodore Roosevelt, how the CEO got relieved?
0: No, you ever I heard about that. I, I didn't hear about that.
1: He wrote an email to his supervisor, you know, that admiral and stuff like that, saying like, "Hey, he needs help. His ship is uh being like overrun with COVID cases. You know, right when COVID first started, everyone's getting sick. We can't be operational." Someone in who he emailed to leaked that to the press. So he didn't actually email it to the press. Uh, someone leaked it to the press. He was pretty much telling the, his IRFs, like, hey, no, we're not going to be operational. We're going to go get the help we need because of this. Like, you guys, I've been asking. Y'all guys haven't been giving support. So he stood up. He made a decision, which ultimately got him relieved of his command. And I think he got his shit, like, off his record, like, reinstated. But a lot of CEOs are too afraid to stand up. Or there's a lot of people in general are too afraid to stand up to the higher ups because of a fear of getting fired or, you know, getting what we call DFC, departure for cause. You know, pretty much just getting in trouble
0: because you could potentially lose your pension right
1: <laughs> yeah you could yeah i mean you could your ability to get the pension you know like after next july i'm safe you know like i could as i call it, like i had 20 years after after next july i'm guaranteed a, a retirement unless i like you know commit murder or something like that whoa um, whoa whoa
0: easy one, man. <laughs> yeah
1: Yeah. I'm now, not going to. <laughs> this is
0: going in the hall of records this will be a little lightning rapid fast i'm going to ask you some questions and you just dish out the first answer that comes to your head don't even have to think that much yeah. so this will just be these are very easy questions too do you think that the, the language in the military is efficient? Because I did that podcast, uh, Buzzsaw Words, and I talked about yeah. how I believe the military speak is very efficient. Do you think it's efficient?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, straight and to the point when it comes to terms. Yep.
0: Which country offers the hottest chicks?
1: <laughs> um, I'm going to go with, it's a toss-up between Japan and Australia.
0: Oh, yeah. Because I'll tell you, I base that on like, so for example, there's all these Australian actresses, right? Like Margot Robbie. Is Australian, mm-hmm. and of course she's you know hot. And then um, now like Charlize Theron, she's South African, and I think when she speaks in her her Africanese or whatever it's called dialect, man, that's mm-hmm. a good one. But then of course Japan, oh man, I don't, I don't even know a lot of Japanese women like Lucy Liu is Chinese, I believe. So mm-hmm. I can't even think of one Japanese woman.
1: Well, like famous ones, I'm top I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's a that's gonna bug me. You've seen a lot more than I've seen. I've been been to Mexico, like right across the border from like south of Texas, Mexico, Matamoros. And I've been to Progreso, Mexico. I've been to Cozumel. And I'm starting to run out of places, man. I haven't. I was briefly in North Korea when I was in Progreso, Mexico, because it was like a little rest stop between Progreso and the other side. There's like a North Korean consulate there. So I was like for three seconds, I was on North Korean sovereign territory or whatever. But oh. that's a, I haven't seen a lot, unfortunately. I want to see more. Okay, so give an example of a leader that you really admire and why you admire them.
1: Admiral Spruance, like you don't know about military idols, he was, uh, he was very thoughtful in his decision making. He they call him the quiet quiet warrior. There's a book about titled that about him. He didn't act out, he didn't he wasn't very like lively, I guess you can say. He was very thoughtful and critical about his decisions that he made. He took into account a lot of he when he had a plan, he thought he thought about plan A, plan B, what goes wrong, how are we gonna if this goes wrong this way, how are we gonna mitigate that? If it goes this way, how are we gonna mitigate that? So it wasn't just like uh he wasn't he never shot from the hip. He actually had plans and backup plans and, you know, a lot of witness. And I think that's really good. Uh, a leader should do. And also another one, Napoleon Napoleon, he trusted his in a way, he trusted his soldiers more than his other officers. He would go down to the trenches and eat with his officers, share wine with, or sorry, with his enlisted guys, share wine with his soldiers. We sent the Navy uh Keep his ears to the deck plate, you know, listen what's going on. The actual true true gripes and bitches from his, his, uh, junior soldiers.
0: Okay. That, that is brilliant, Napoleon, because I tried to get what was called a skip level meeting accomplished at my former company where Mm. you would have a meeting with your commander in chief and the, and the middle managers would not be present for that meeting so that you could have honest feedback and you could shoot straight to the manager about any concerns that you had about anything under the sun. But the problem was, is that at my former company, trust did not exist it was very hard for you to believe that you could have a conversation with your manager's manager and not somehow have it reflect negatively on you if you can't have a conversation with your superior superior what prevents the middle manager from being like abusive or from them being shitty you know or, or like there's no check and balance on the middle manager if you're not able to speak directly to their manager that's kind of how i looked at it by napoleon doing that but you have to be careful right because you run the risk that if you become too personable with the the enlisted men kind of get in the way of your emotional decision-making or, or things like that sometimes if you if you know them too well or if you're too friendly with them.
1: Yeah, yeah. You never want to be like like a top leader you should never be too close. He be person- personable, but not too personable. There's a good part in the Band of Brothers. Yes. Where the two officers are talking. One picks the other one up and he's was playing poker. You know, he's like, oh, that's fine. He's like, well, what if he would have won? You should never put yourself in the um, pretty much placement where like you're taking money from the from the guys, you know, from the from the junior lower enlisted, right? Because that can create resentment. So you know, as a leader, you know, everyone's watching what you do. You know, and you never want to put yourself in that situation where things can be mistaken, you know, or perception. Perception goes a long way.
0: That is brilliant. <laughs> so you're the you're the second brother to drop a band of brothers uh, reference on me and just like <laughs> totally knock me on my butt because your brother, c Drew, he dropped a quote towards the end of our session about. He talked about how Dyke was a terrible leader, not because he made bad decisions, but because he made no decisions. So there you have it. So yes, that is brilliant. Okay, I, I have thought of a Japanese model. She's Apparently, she she went, went on to be a comedian. Her name is Aiko Tanaka, which one, that's a sexy name. But if you look up Aiko Tanaka, like A-I-K-O Tanaka, you will be very pleased with what you see. So there you go. Long live Japan. Uh, Australian actress that I was thinking of now, Margot Robbie is obviously like the big draw, but there are several Australian actresses. Abby Cornish, she is Australian. She was in season two of that show, Jack Ryan. Have you been watching the Jack Ryan series? It's pretty
1: good. I've, I've, won, I've read the books. I've like got a lot of the books. I just haven't had time to sit down and actually start the start the series.
0: Oh, okay. That's okay. And then there's another Australian actress, Olivia Dunham. She was in that Fox show Fringe that had Joshua Jackson in it that was kind of like the X-Files. So there are a lot of attractive actresses. Oh, and remember Isla Fisher? She's with the guy that does Borat. She's, she's Australian too. So uh, so there you go. So for the audience, that book is called The Quiet Warrior. It is a biography of Admiral Raymond Spruance, published in 1974. So you guys check that out. So thank you for that reference, man. I, I think I might actually read that because if you have a, a lot of admiration for him, then that's probably well-founded. Give me an example of some qualities that make a shitty leader or just a piece of shit that you've had that you've had the displeasure of having to work with.
1: Hypocrites. Someone who's a hypocrite, you know. Someone says, "Do as I say, not as I do." Someone who, ate hey, fucking can't brush their goddamn teeth. If Someone has bad breath. I always ask them where the cat, where, where the fucking cat is, and <laughs> like, what cat? My like, the cat that shit in your fucking mouth.
0: Oh man, um, don't you wish you could say that to people? Oh, you probably. I can. do. Yeah,
1: yeah, I do. I don't give a shit. Um, that's, awesome. that's why I always carry. I always carry something in my pocket. So if I can, if I need to, I, I purposely drop it out on the floor so I get a fresh breath, fresh air when I bend down to grab it. Um, <laughs> no, but I fucking, I, I hate hypocrites. I hate liars. Pretty much, I just hate incompetent people there's uh, This goes back to uh, the leadership course we t- talk about. We talk about character versus competency. It's like, what would you rather have? Would you rather have someone who's really competent and a shitty person, or someone who's incompetent but has good character?
0: Just based on that, I would say you'd, you'd want to have the person that had character because you can train competence, but you can't yeah. really train character.
1: True, yeah, true. So, I mean, some I mean, some people make the difference. Some people, you, you, you know, uh, everyone has their opinion. opinion. Uh, I teach these courses, and it's funny to hear the arguments and the conversations. But yeah, like for me personally, I'd rather have someone who's has good character because, and you know, being the, you know, they may not be the smartest person in the world, but you can, you can train them to, you know, follow procedures and be, be competent.
0: And you can trust but, uh, them, right? You can trust them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, what's your favorite thing and your least favorite thing about the Navy?
1: Uh, my favorite thing is the stability. As long as I'm not, as long as I'm in trouble, I know first and 15th I'm, I get paid. I know I have a roof over my wife and kids. I know I have money to put food on the plate and I have food on my, my belly every day. So, it's the stability and, you know, the travel. The worst thing about it, I mean, if you were to ask me 15 years ago, it, but the worst thing would be different from now. Worst thing about it, 15 years ago, I would say, oh, the pay, you know, the pay isn't that good, you know, or, you know, the, you know, it's free healthcare, but it takes a long time to, you know, get something done. But now the worst thing about it now is just being away from, from my wife and my, my son and my, my soon to be born son as well. Right now, that's the worst thing about it.
0: That's fair. That makes sense. What are some of the most important skills you've learned in your service? Like for, <clears throat> either for character or for your confidence or just things that you, you would be able to apply in civilian life? Patience, Ooh, you know,
1: patience. patience, patience, and like the ability to to explain the with them to people, the what's in it for me. Because nowadays everyone asks why, you know, why, why, why do we do this, why do this? When I first came in, it was hey, go do this. You didn't, you didn't ask why, you know, or, okay, go. Cool. I got told to do it. But now, nowadays with the new generations coming in, it's, they want to you know the why and what's in it for me. So for me, the the ability to I've learned how to explain it to where I can explain the why and being able to have sailors do stuff not because I need them to, but because they want to. And th- I think that's good, good quality of being a leader in order to get a job done because they want to, not because they have to, you know, th- there's a the difference. You can definitely see that difference in quality of product.
0: That's interesting because, so I'm thinking about how to be a good soldier, you follow fucking orders. That's my yeah. definition of a good soldier. Even if the order is good or not, you still have to follow it. But I'm wondering about that. So we've seen in the white collar world, with this cross-generational shit. Because every 15, 20 years, you have a whole other generation you got to contend with. And so in the military, you probably have a mixed bag where you got those old salty sea dogs and then you got these new up-and-coming fucking weirdos, right? That's what I call them because mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't trust <laughs> these new generations. But you're now in a spot where you're having to keep them happy. And now, like you were saying with the new generation, it's all about the questioning and like, well, what what's what's the purpose of doing this? So you found that if you tell them just enough not you don't want to tell them too much like you don't want to give away the whole operation but like if you tell these up and comers just enough where they understand what their role is in the organization you think that it makes them more it it increases morale
1: yeah even if it's like taking out the trash doing this we call it the shit work right but you got to explain to them all right. Hey, man, like I know it sucks. I've done there. I've taken out the trash before, but we take out the trash, which is, you know, keeps the spaces clean. Right. And you walk through a space and it looks shitty. You don't have a shitty attitude. You walk through a space and it looks clean it's well. taken care of people see that that they see. Oh, whose name is attached to the space? Oh, it's your name. You take Sailor X. You know, you take this you take the shit seriously. You have a good space and you have that image already being like on top of your shit already. Other people besides, you know, my division can come and see that. But if you walk into a space and there's trash everywhere, just like walking someone's house. You know, you walk someone's house, you get a good impression on their first five seconds and how yep. it smells, if it's shitty, if it's dirty. Like, because, you know, they don't take out the trash, you know, all the small stuff, you know, they're like, the small, to me, it's like all the small stuff adds up. You know, you got to, even the hard days of like, hey guys, we got to stay. I know it's six o'clock at night on a Friday, but we need to stay to get this done, you know, tonight because of this What you know, this is this and this. And like, you know, I'll, I'm going to be there with them. I'm never going to be like, y'all need to stay to get this shit done. I'm gonna go home and have a beer. Like I'll, I'm never doing that. And also, I never ever make my sailors work during lunch, for, during meal time. I don't bother them. I'm, if I told them if I do, it's something's really important. So like I will never ask y'all to give up your your lunch, your break, like your designated break time, to go do some fucking bullshit.
0: You're an honest and reasonable man. It's funny because I was I was gonna ask, do do people keep clean workstations or are they fucking disgusting? <laughs> but it sounds like you kind of touched on that.
1: Some people are fucking nasty in the military. Like just in general, like you. Some people literally join the military and they're used to showering maybe once or twice a week. So hygiene is sometimes a, a culture shock for people. As far as like your workstations, I know like my say, as I says is like, keep a clean workspace. You know, if you, you know we always say, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. Meaning if you just, <laughs> if you, just, you know, I always tell my say, don't ever ask me, hey, you got anything for me to do? Because I'm always like, last time I checked, water and steel don't mix. And that creates a lot of rust. So go paint. So we say once over dust, twice over rust.
0: Oh man, your rhymes are killing me. I, I'm always coming up with fucked up rhymes. Like if you have time to sleep, you have time to creep on them <laughs> sleeping or like well, remember in four year old virgin? She's like, she's praying for a sprain or, or hurting for a yeah. squirt. And like I, I come up with all this crazy shit. Like, oh, we're going to, we're going to slay and fillet them or whatever. It's funny because I had a buddy. He, he was in the, uh, he was army intelligence and he said that now this isn't always going to be like case by case true, but he said that, you know, the military force that's going to be more victorious. It's not necessarily the force that has the better weaponry. It's the force that keeps the cleanest camp. Because if you have a camp and it's getting to be where it's disease ridden, you're going to have all these ill, sick, dying soldiers. And that's no kind of way to fight. So he always said, if you can have a cleaner camp, you're going to be more successful, even if you don't necessarily have the better weaponry. So I thought there was something to what he said. Now, how do you not lose your mind being around all those sausages with dude humor all the time?
1: Well, so the Navy's changed in like the twenty years they've been in off center jokes, off to jokes. You know, we don't hammer as much anymore. Just because of the past the the culture of the navy, especially in the, the culture of the military, changing. Especially just like male and females get offended now. And that's that's one of the things about the culture differences, right? You know, all these junior sailors coming in and, you know, new generation. You have to adapt. You have to adapt to what's what you can what you can and can't say and all the off color remarks and you know, now it's like the, the leadership. I, you know, I even if even some some jacknut says something pretty fucking funny in my mind, I can't like in front of my division. I can't laugh at it, you know, because what if one sailor finds that offensive? Then you know that could be my career. So,
0: so it's fair to say that a lot of the reason that it's changed is because it's fear based. You don't uh, abide by these new rules, I guess social decorum, not damaging people's sensibilities. You could actually be facing quite a bit of punishment.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. For instance, uh, last year I had three of my sailors go to captain's mass, and they got punished for some off-color remarks uh, that happened within my division. Happened before I checked into my command, but then it came to light a little while after I checked in, so I had to go back and as as the chief and do the you know administrative, be there for that and so pretty much one guy got a suspended bus, one guy got a letter of instruction, and one guy got a uh, got kicked out of the command and uh, went to what we call admin, administrative separation board. His stuff got turned over, but he still, he still got busted down one pay grade. So as
0: civilian life has become more sensitive, so too has military life. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell you, man, I don't know where you stand on it, but I miss the old days. I miss the days where people could just make fun of other people and then you would just have to toughen up because the real world is not an easy, fun place. So I don't know what's going to happen in 50 years when people haven't even heard an insult in like 30 years. and then And then they go somewhere, like they go to another country or they step outside their neighborhood and someone calls them something? Are they just gonna have a complete fucking mental breakdown? You know,
1: it's gonna be weird. I always, I always kind of fear be going to the civilian sector because some of the shit I say in the military probably wouldn't last out there. So that's why I probably end up getting a job that's like with like a lot of prior like Navy or military sure. people.
0: Look at you thinking ahead. Have you made a shit ton of lifelong friends in the military?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I've made some good friends. Best man at my wedding was uh, my buddy Brandon. We actually iraq unit together but it turns out he was in sea cadets with me i was his i was when he went to his little boot camp i was a, i was company commander oh wow so actually one of my best friends josh uh he passed away two years ago but you know we were like him in japan second boat a shit ton of friends that I, I you know talked to you know maybe not all the time but you know we still run into each other like as people in this command i've 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 worked with from before not my neighbor like and saying, hey, I moved in, and like next courtyard over is this, he's a retired senior chief, but he was on my first ship as a first class way back when. So you know, it's I, there's a lot of people I still keep in touch with, and that I've I've met from being almost 20 years in the navy. Well, that's
0: good, man. That's that's just another perk.
1: I guess that's just another perk. You're going to make you're going to continue to make friends, and those friends are going to
0: live all over. So you're going to have a lot of sofas to crash on should you ever <laughs> need it. But you're always welcome here, man. I know we don't see each other very much, but uh, I feel like I haven't seen you for more than about four hours at a time in like many many years. Yeah, so, yeah. So it's, hopefully it's
1: been a while.
0: Hopefully twenty twenty-three will be the year that I uh I come bug you. Um yeah. <laughs> so chemohawk sessions. Now I started this thing and the whole purpose of it was to try to give people perspective, make people laugh fucking hard, and to remind people of things that they're gonna encounter at their white collar. Now, I would almost consider a lot of the bureaucracy that you see is probably is is white collar in nature. So have you gotten anything specific out of chemohawk sessions, like anything that you've that's given you perspective or anything that has educated you or just made you laugh hysterically where you had to like turn it off so you could finish laughing before you could continue listening i'm just curious what if any impact it's had on your life
1: the buzz words i like that the first one. that was like one of my favorite ones you know i'm sitting there thinking like yeah like I, some of the terms i remember hearing before and like trying to, trying to think of how we say those in the navy and like i was just like and i remember after that one session i was like just listening to people like the next week and hearing them say certain things i was like in my mind i'm like buzz that word but a lot of people <laughs> a lot of people don't know like what does that mean i'm like oh, i don't worry about it and I listened to one for with me and C. Drew, and we had you to know, talk about how y'all you know, came around, room, trashed it, and shit like that. I was like, oh, yes. I was like, I forgot about that, you son of a <laughs> Yeah, you know? we
0: did. You were you were in band, so you were on Drumline. Oh, yeah. but man, we, we like the same music. I remember seeing albums in your room. Like, I'd borrow your CDs, like Lifehouse, their first album, uh, No Name yeah. Face. Yeah. Uh, with Our like Lady s- Peace. Yeah, dude. Oh, so Our Lady Peace. You remember that Our Lady Peace concert we went to at House of Blue? Yeah,
1: That yeah, was a I mean- fun
0: day. It was me, you, your brother. And I think Justin, and then your friend from, uh, she she was from high school, uh, Bonnery, I think her name yeah.
1: is. Yeah. And
0: we all went there and that was a good time. I loved Our Lady Peace. But one of my favorite memories was that day where we drove down to Galveston in my truck and we only spent the day and then we drove back and we listened to that live album of Our Lady Peace uh, up in Canada, I think they were. And that was so good when they started playing like Not Enough.
1: You know, yeah, Superman's I, I just, dead and all that. I still have the album on my, on my on iTunes now. I have it on my phone. Yeah, I, still, I have a lot of the albums still. Some of like some of the, like the new stuff, like one of the albums, I can't remember which one. It was like one actually. Actually, their their Spiritual Machines two album. It just came out. I think this year. It wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. Like the no. original Spiritual Machines, that was like my favorite song in the world. Everyone's a junkie is on the album. And so when they said they're they're releasing Spiritual Machines two, I was like, it was like you know, twenty years later, like just came out this year. I'm like, oh fuck yeah! Like I'm so excited. I. I download it and it, it just didn't have the same feel to it you know i just didn't like i don't know what i expect it, it wasn't as good as i thought it was gonna be but. dude
0: they have so many good songs from back in the day like clumsy uh one man army
1: yeah Nav- naveed yes um you know i like everyone's all the spiritual machines like everyone's a junkie right behind you they have uh um song, uh, stealing babies it's a pretty good song they have uh annie yes um, they have, yeah they have some i like somewhere out there
0: oh yeah 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 that's classic but yeah, so I, I, we had a lot of similar interests in music. We both love fuel. Remember when fuel came out in the nineties?
1: That was my AOL screen name. Like fuel Three. Yes,
0: I for some odd reason I remember that. And I remember that you were a volunteer fireman for about two years or something. Yeah, Magnolia. junior.
1: Yeah, junior and senior in high school. Yeah. But
0: yeah, man, so I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you like came on sessions. You're welcome to listen to all of it. Any feedback that you ever come across, like if you come across anything that you like or that you think could use a little improvement, just let me know. And tell your buddies, tell all your military pals about it. I mean, I'm sure they have a lot of things they like to listen to and they probably like to play Mm. military games, but spread it all around the world in Japan and Australia where all the hot ladies lie. I would even say, and maybe you would know, but like, I would think that the Philippines would just be like riddled with like hot women,
1: but. Well, I've never been to the Philippines. I sailed through them when I was on unemployment. My wife's Filipino and she's pretty fucking hot. So I think, you know, if there are hot women Filipino, you know, I think. And I was in the Philippines and I got the, I got the number one because then my wife is pretty hot. I got her. So I'm good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Lucky man. Lucky man. Okay. So since this title is warrior or warrior, I have dug up a song by Lloyd Banks who used to be affiliated with 50 cent back in the day. And it's a song called warrior and it's one of my favorite songs. So I'm going to read briefly some of these lyrics to warrior and you're going to see why it's such a badass song. I'm a warrior, aw man I never run, never snitch, I'm a grown man dog, I ain't no bitch, a warrior, won't change cause he's rich, before I shit on my family I lie in a ditch, a warrior, won't fold under pressure, he got a shell waiting in the hole if they test ya, I'll sacrifice it all if he has to, react and think about it after, I'm a warrior, and then the first verse, oh you heard right motherfucker, my grandmama daughter ain't raised no sucker, heart full of pride and a head full of anger, attitude of a winner, infrared for the danger, boom! That is Lloyd Banks with Warrior. If you're not listening to that song already, you're already behind. But that's what I think of when I think of you, bro. Your uh, your grandmama daughter ain't raised no sucker, Adam. You are a OK in my book. Appreciate it. <laughs> so, did you have any last minute uh, thoughts or questions or takeaways before I give us the grand conclusion?
1: I really appreciate you having uh, me on your your podcast. I have been trying to busy getting the schedule set up or whatnot. I don't know, but like saying like, yeah, we've known each other for. I've been almost for 20 years, so then, how old are we, like 38, 30, I'm 39, so damn near 30, at least about 30 years.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. Right? Yep. yep. Yeah.
1: So there's, you know, I've known you, Mr. Tuma, you know, uh, Big Steve. I think out of everyone, you know, you, you know, besides, you know, my roommate, Chris, <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I've known, I've known you the longest. Uh, oh, and of course, Allison Rader. I think I've known her, the y'all two, the longest. And everyone else we know, so I'm glad that we've kept in touch all these all these through these years, even though we haven't, we don't talk as often or as much as we would like to. But
0: I never know what country you're in, what pole you're in, what hemisphere. I don't know if you're in the middle of combat. I just I just reach out <laughs> randomly, and if I hear back from you, then I figure it's a good day.
1: Yeah, no, I uh, I won't be uh out to sea for a while till till next year sometime. So that'd be nice. But yeah, man, fucking hopefully uh, we can meet up again in person. Sometime next year, and you know, actually kick it for more than four hours.
0: <laughs> I, I I'm thinking most most likely what would happen is like when you were saying I would I'd fly into Mississippi, maybe Biloxi, whatever city is near your you know where you're staying, and then you pick me up from the airport, and then I I would have already worked out like a Airbnb or something, and then you know we would just hang out and and go on that steamboat and do some steamboat gambling. Now how's Allison doing?
1: I haven't talked to her in a while. I mean I, I hit up on Facebook every every now and then. Actually, last time I actually saw her was at her wedding. Yeah, years ago, I send a message every now and then. I know she has a uh, two two kiddos, two kiddos, her and her her and her husband. I think they're still living down in uh back in Missouri. I'm not sure. I mean, you, you know. you're
0: better you're better at that than I. I mean, you you know, you know what's going on with people better than I do because you're you're better. And I mean, you may not you said you weren't maybe like the the most techie person, but you're definitely hip to the social media. And that's something I always struggle with because I feel like if I spend too much time on social media, all it does is make me sad. Kind of like what Elon Musk said, you know, you're looking at social media and everybody looks happy and beautiful. So then you look at your own life and you're like, well, maybe I'm not that happy. Maybe I'm not that beautiful. Maybe something's wrong. So you start getting sad. But thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah, no, it was an honor to have you on. I appreciate your friendship, most importantly. And then of course, I appreciate how you dedicated 20 years of your life plus to serving something other than yourself, which is your country. So I'm very appreciative of that. And I'll tell you, my bro, Wham Bam, you know, he's very pro-military and I, I love military things myself. It's not something that I say lightly. Like, I mean, everyone says things like, oh, you know, we appreciate your service. But I, for me, I'm just like, I actually know you. You're one of my oldest best friends. And you happen to have devoted more of your life than not to the military owning your ass. Literally owning your ass. So I'm appreciative of that. And I'm sorry that you had to deal with some crazy shit in Operation Iraqi Freedom. But hey, I'm glad you made it back. You're doing good. So we, I, I think we both had a near-death experience. And we're stronger because of it. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Podience. Thank you, Adam, for your government service, but more specific <laughs> to me, your long lasting Podience session podcasting, pirate ship masting, enemy blasting, optimistic forecasting friendship. Thank you, man. Podience. Ooh, thank you, man. It is by staying in touch with those who have always known you that you keep yourself honest. Remember your roots. Remember what Adam was saying about being a leader and, and treating people like a little like a little acorn and making sure that they grow up into a full fucking fledged oak tree. Know that there is another motherfucker out there who always has something on you, like dark mail, as I doubt we can call it blackmail in our contemporary delicately handicapped culture. I choose to remain indelicate in matters delicate, for that is how we extract nuggets of knowledge and how we siphon sincerity. I did not exude the courage, discipline, and sense of unpredictable adventure that my main man, Adam, wore like a shirt when he made his life and career choice. But I am grateful to him and barely recognize him anymore with each passing ink injected flesh desecration that he gets. What do you have, like 40 tattoos now, 50?
1: Two full sleeves, both sides of my chest done, a little bit on my backs, my legs. I don't have like seven and a half grand worth of tattoos on me that I've put in it. My my ribs done, yeah.
0: There you go, audience. listen to all that craziness. (laughs) There is much, much more in store for your wanting ears, dear listeners. There is an ocean of patrol boats, destroyers, and ships of the Battle Persuasion, along with brilliant floating material, and we have barely breached the bay. Unwinding is tough, and the oceanic grind, waves are fucking rough. But we politely declare, enough, as we challenge and call the daily grind's bluff. I am Falsetto Prophet, you are my dependable audience, as we navigate the risky international waters of the White Collar Reef. Thank you for your rapt attention and clear intention. I challenge you stick around, sit down, and await your next Aural Pleasure Dose of Chemohawk. Chapter 53. White collar, black belt, a disloyal quitter or loyal and bitter. Quit or get bit. Chemohawk podient sessions with Crocus Medic. Now that's actually Wam Bam Cam's sister, and she works as an EMS, so she is also someone who is dedicating her life to helping others. Well, thanks again, man. Uh, Falsetto and Adam Abroad out.